You are listening to episode number 14 of the Mind Body Academy podcast with Sarah Rose. This isn't an MBA. This is the MBA. This is the place for you to get coached and make health and happiness the business of how you get ahead in life. You get coached. Coached. This is the startup of you. You get coached. And now, your coach, Sarah Rose. Hey, how are you? It's so good to be here with you. Before deep diving into the episode, I wanted to take some time to have some transparency with you in the pre-frame to this episode. And it all kind of feeds in together, but I wanted to share with you a little bit about what's been going on for me. You know, when we think of this idea of training our brain, the word training often brings to mind displays of strength. And when we're thinking of what looks like strong, we think of the performance. We visualize the athlete or the peak performer, quote unquote, whatever field that might be, the top of the top. But really, displays of strength are one thing. But how strength is cultivated, moments of true strength are really what come through in the moments of practice. And so it's not an either or situation of you're weak or you're strong, but really recognizing that it's a whole spectrum and it's a practice and it must be cultivated deliberately. So for me right now in my life, I find myself in one of the most challenging positions I've ever been in in my life. And I want to tell you a little bit more about that. But before I dive into that story, I just wanted to read this quote from Kevin Hart that really brought me to this place where I wanted to share this with you because I've, I'm processing it and I've processed it enough to be able to bring that to you and to share the wisdom that's been coming through from it. So he said, these are the moments where you realize that you are nowhere near where you need to be. So that road to becoming the billionaire or the mogul, it's a long road, man. It's a long road. It's a long road. And you can think that you have it all together. And then like that, something stupid can happen that can take it all away. Man, those words produce chills for me. The realness of them, I mean, I feel it. I know the meaning behind them. I know that in life, and especially in business, you have to be prepared to sacrifice and then sacrifice some more. And just when you think you can't sacrifice more, you have to sacrifice that. You have to be willing to obliterate who you are to become who you want to be. And I told myself 
that I would go all out when it came to building my coaching practice, like guns blazing, like I was friggin' Rambo. And then I ended up in this position where I am now down on my knees with my hands behind my head, definitely crying out for mercy. You know, I invested in a coaching program for my business to understand how to market myself in the online space. And I was targeted by so many ads and coaches over the years in order to develop this skill. And I reached a point where I felt very insecure about where I was at and where I was tracking and trending. And I decided to spend close to $10,000 on this program. And the place that I was coming from when I was choosing to invest wasn't a place of believing that in investing, I would get the result. It was really from a place of confusion and desperation. And what that created was that I was delegating responsibility in that moment for where I was at to that program. And when I found myself in it, so much was revealed that I hadn't really investigated about whether these people who were running the program's methods really aligned with how I saw myself growing my business. I was so much in a hurry to grow my business that I was fixated on the result and I took myself out of the practice and out of the process of creating growth. So instead of burning the boats, like you might have heard people like Tony Robbins talk about, I really what I did was tantamount to lighting myself on fire. And I'm not sharing this because I need pity. I also feel that I don't need to hide. I got ahead of myself. I was in a hurry and I messed up. When we mess up, the tendency is to want to look away, is to want to get defensive. We want to be right, and so much so that we hold on to being right when we know ourselves to be wrong, even if it's uncomfortable (laughs) to be right. And in this situation, you know, this is my moment to fess up and take responsibility, to look deeply at the root of the decisions, why I decided what I decided, and to learn from it, to inform what I will do next. So just like Kevin said at the end of that little segment, he sent this message taking responsibility for an altercation that had happened where he said, I will get my shit together and I will do better. And so that's also what I want to share with you. You know, growing a business is awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. It's all of the things. And it's supposed to be that way. I can see that. So I will get my shit together and I will do better. This is only the beginning. And I can appreciate that. So I think that's what's been so interesting about being where I am 
to witness the level of calm that I have in the face of what I know so many people would panic with. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And to be able to recognize the effect of my own thinking in my life, it's almost like an out-of-body experience where you are fully in the space of deliberate choice. Maybe not fully in that space, but enough so that I don't feel negative about the negative right now. There's an inner peace there that allows me to continue to focus in a way that takes me forward instead of focuses, focusing on a place that would feel like I'm putting myself back because it can, I can tell myself a story about how I'm now far behind, how this is, you know, something that will impede my growth moving forward. But I think it's, it's the exact opposite. I think what I'm going through right now is part of what I'm needing to learn to take myself to a better place. And I can recognize that the reason that I'm able to experience my life in this way is because I have been doing the thought work to train my brain. I think with the Mind Body Academy, it's so interesting because I'm constantly drawing those parallels out with you of, you know, building a body, building your health is so similar to building a business. And what I've been spending time reflecting upon is the same advice that I give my clients, which is I tell them, you know, you want to build your body, lose the weight, the way you plan on living it and taking that back out into my business and saying, how do I want to grow this? And can I choose a way that I also plan on living it that same way? So it's not this perpetual burnout cycle that I have found myself in over the years. So with that, just beginning to notice that yes, somebody could look at my life and say what this girl has been saying about how if you focus on your health, it will impact the health of everything else in your life, the health of your business, the health of your finances. What's this girl talking about? Look at where she's at now. But I think this is the sign that it's working. The way that you are able to cope with hard things with failure and struggle is all a reflection of how you're managing your mental and physical health. How you are taking care of yourself matters because it impacts the way that you are able to take care of yourself when it's the hardest. And in life, I don't need to tell you that there are going to be those moments where you are forced to recognize that you're not as far along as you thought and that's okay and nothing has gone wrong in order for you to be able to do that you have to have 
this mental discipline in place. Any quick fix out there that somebody has to offer, all of that is always full of lack and insecurity. So getting yourself back to a place where your mind is open towards contribution, not just contribution in the large sense of it, but first really how are you contributing to your own growth and success? How are you taking care of you? That ultimately is what creates sustainability and dependability in the success that you're seeking to create for yourself. When you can trust yourself, then you can trust what you are willing to do in order to create that success, no matter what, even if there are missteps. Okay, so I came across this quote by Brendan Kane, which I'm pretty sure I've said those words myself, but it was really seeing that quote that brought to the surface the realization that for many of us, we don't know what it means to train your brain. So he said, you have to train your brain as much as you train your body. In reading that, it struck me that what does that even mean? (laughs) Because we hear it a lot. I've said it a lot. But I think if I were to ask you, what are you doing to train your brain? You would maybe answer reading. Maybe. But what exists beyond reading as an opportunity for us to cultivate skill in the area of our psychological development? You know, we've made so much progress in the area of physical health. And I think that is really something to recognize. It's a beautiful thing. Culturally, we understand the value of taking care of our bodies in a way that we never have before. We understand so much more about nutrition, or at least that education is more readily available to us. And We've come to value exercise so much more as a society. It's built into our school systems, into our way of life. And yet, what do we do as a society to train our brains, to optimize our mental health? Very little. We kind of go through the education system, and then for many of us, That's kind of it. (laughs) And because the way our education system is set up, it's so failure-averse that really what we're taught to practice and develop in ourselves are these behavioral tendencies towards quick fixes and cheating and shortcuts. So we really never have the opportunity to get that training that prepares us for life. And when it comes to developing ourselves cognitively, psychologically, most of us don't think about what we could do for ourselves in that respect because we think of the people dealing with our psychology as psychologists. And you go see a psychologist if you have a problem so it's still something that's very taboo for people and we're only just now starting to 
open up a whole other field through life coaching and mindfulness and that kind of thing where we have these opportunities for the first time to look at what's going on with us without viewing it through the lens of a problem but rather as something that we can consciously condition and create and design into our lives. I think to myself, what an opportunity to be waking up for the first time to the recognition that it's really the way that we manage our minds that creates the entirety of this human experience. What it means to be human is profoundly rooted in what we believe about the human experience, in how we choose to experience our lives, the feelings that we bring to it, and whether that is determined by our default conditioning or whether it has been developed through us through conscious conditioning. So that's what I want to open up. Most of us don't have a lot of opportunities to think about what we're thinking and about what we want to think about. So we just accept what comes unconsciously and automatically. It comes so unconsciously and automatically that we don't even think to question it or even really know how. Why question something that appears to us as true? So when many of my clients first come to me and they start to witness the effect of their thinking in their lives, they notice a whole lot of what Zig Ziglar calls (laughs) stinking thinking and immediately they want to change themselves and change their thoughts. But just like many things in life, it's not a quick fix. In order to change habitual ways of thinking that don't work for you, there's a process behind that that takes time and dedication. It's really here that I notice a lot of parallels between deliberate practice that is understood more in the realm of sports than psychology, but it's really there that I see the interplay of how it actually does show up in the realm of of our work performance in anything that we do. So what is deliberate practice? Well, it's a special type of practice that is above all deliberate and systematic. It was first developed by Anders Ericsson, a psychologist and leading scholar who even at the time had the foresight to see that it could be applied to any field. Deliberate practice relies on small, achievable, well-defined steps that help you work your way towards meaningful improvement. And in many ways, most of us, when we set out to achieve a goal, we think about all of the steps required to get there. And we think of those steps in relationship to where we are now, rather than reverse engineering the performance we want to have, the result that we want to have, and understanding how we can chunk it down with the end in mind. So 
deliberate practice focuses on the end result through the component parts that lead you there. It kind of drills it down. You're focusing on the skills that both stack and nest into each other, and the idea is to be constantly evaluating those skills. It's that process of evaluation that invites in experimentation to find new and better ways to achieve what it is that you want to achieve. Many people end up capping their performance because they're focused on the whole rather than the component parts. But when you get more modular and you ask yourself, what is the most micro ingredient of the thing that I'm seeking to create that I can focus in on, that I can create some mastery around that will enhance and kind of cascade into the other skills that I'm seeking to develop that produce mastery at that higher level. Most of us are so much in a hurry. We're just focused on that whole. So we just focus on getting good enough and often getting to that point where we're good enough and just getting by. Notice how that shows up so often in people's eyes, that feeling of just getting by. It becomes like just good enough, but not really enough to satisfy our soul. And because we're in a hurry to change, we end up keeping ourselves in the same place because instead of practicing the elements of performance, we practice the performance the whole way through. And that will get you to a certain level, but not beyond. It's so important to be able to break it down and focus on deliberate repetition of the parts. That's how you consolidate skill and develop the neuroplasticity required of you to develop mastery. It's just like muscle memory. You have to go slow and be deliberate. It's that little breakdown in the middle that allows you to notice those points of weakness and build strength around it. And very often, part of the ways that we can go about uncovering what are the elements that we can begin to practice in our own lives that allow us to develop ourselves? Well, one thing that we're often encouraged to do is to emulate how other people have performed. So we look to who seems to be doing well and extract from that a blueprint. And that's incredibly valuable, but what you want to be sure to do is not to focus on their performance, but rather on how they practice and build that into your process. But what is often not revealed and requires another layer of investigation is what someone is deliberately practicing, believing, and feeling that is generating all of the actions that they're taking in their lives to create the level of success that they have. And that's a little known part of what ends up creating automaticity where we take ourselves from a level of conscious incompetence to 
a level of unconscious competence where we've reprogrammed our brains where we're running a different system of thoughts and beliefs that create a different way of being in our lives that overrides our default conditioning and creates a new default way of being in the world. One where the new results can be easily maintained through a form of effortless effort where there's no more struggle involved in maintaining what was created. So training our brains really involves two things. Firstly, the capacity to witness our thinking and witness the effects of our thinking on our lives. So that practice of cultivating awareness. And secondly, It involves waking up our capacity to change it, to change our beliefs. And that first part is so important. I would say the most important and also the most skipped over because for most of us, we just think that we're making observations about our lives. We don't recognize that there's a choosable thought there. We don't see the negative spin that we're in. All we are able to recognize are the feelings that are coming up for us. So how do we cultivate that awareness to drop down beneath that layer, surface layer of what we're experiencing in terms of our emotions and really uncover the thoughts that are creating the way that we feel? There are many ways, and you will find other teachers who teach on this differently, but the two ways that I teach and that I cultivate as a deliberate practice, both in my life and in the lives of my clients that I bring into their lives are, first of all, a mindfulness meditation practice. So a practice rooted in the discipline of going inward and rather than reacting to or resisting our thoughts, beginning to experience ourselves as the witness of our thoughts rather than feeling ourselves at the effect of our minds, but subtly starting to open up to our inner capacity to be the force behind our minds. Now this takes time and Um, practice. (laughs) So one thing that feels more accessible to people is also doing what I call a thought download. It's a term that my coach and instructor Brooke Castillo uses to describe what it's like to sit down and really unburden your mind of all the thoughts that are running through it. Just be able to empty out you and your thoughts right there on a piece of paper (laughs) so you can begin to have a look at them. A lot of us try and do our thought work in our minds and that is like trying to do the whole performance all the way through without looking at the parts of it. So you write down all the thoughts that you're having in that moment 
that are filling your head and then you scan through what you wrote down and recognize what you are experiencing that is a thought and what are the facts of what are going on. The facts are always going to be neutral. So you want to start to neutralize some of that mind drama that we carry around by focusing in on if I were to just flatly say what had happened, void of any judgment or opinion, what are the facts? Facts are something that we could all agree upon that could be proven in a court of law. So you want to isolate and separate out the thoughts from the circumstances that you are facing right now. And all of the thoughts that you pull, you want to notice that all of those thoughts are choices. What is happening to you? What has happened to you? It's not a choice. But how you are thinking about what has happened to you and about what is happening to you, those are choices. We don't experience them as choices because they come so automatically as our default. But now when you look at them, you can ask yourself if you like the way that you're thinking about what's going on. Whether that thinking is serving you. One of the ways to bring up a lot of thinking is by focusing in on some of the results that you're getting in your life and asking yourself what thoughts you're thinking that are creating that result. When you're thinking about that result, what comes up for you? What you'll probably quite rapidly discover is that it's quite uncomfortable to be confronted with our own thinking. So many of us are in a hurry to change our thinking before we fully understand the impact of it. But you cannot change what you don't yet understand. In order to change, you have to own the result first. You have to own your thinking and take responsibility for it. When you take responsibility for what you're thinking, when you really live in that space of the choice, you have power over your thinking and over the results that you're seeking to create in your life. That discomfort that comes up when we initially start to look at our thoughts, we have to sit with long enough to understand that we are the ones creating it in order to have command of it. So often it's our unwillingness to feel the discomfort that lodges us further into the discomfort. When we're uncomfortable about feeling uncomfortable, we're unwilling to do the hard thing of feeling the discomfort long enough for it to relax open into a different experience. On the other side of effort, is ease. So it's this constant interplay that is required of us if we are to evolve in our lives, but most of us resist it. 
there is so much power in waking up the capacity to feel and experience and process through any emotion. If you can teach yourself to be willing to feel the negative emotion, that liberates you to life because then you find yourself in a position in your life to take action in spite of negative emotion, to do the hard thing even when you don't feel excited or motivated to do it. Even when there is anger or grief, really difficult emotions to grapple with. What I want to emphasize is that learning to manage your thoughts, learning to pay attention to them, to witness them, to have that kind of awareness and then start to cultivate a capacity to choose what you're thinking deliberately, intentionally, And from there, also being able to process your emotions all the way through, those are skills and abilities. We don't have many opportunities to learn them, but they must be practiced. And so many people that I've worked with have shared with me that they're unwilling to feel certain emotions that are coming up for them. But We always work together to guide them back to a place of recognition that whatever emotion is coming up for them, whatever they're unwilling to feel, they are the one creating that emotion for themselves, even if they don't realize it. And the more that they're able to recognize that, the more they're able to really, truly know and live in the knowing that all emotion is, is vibration in the body and to begin to ask themselves, can I be with this? And widen the rings of experience that they can open up into through their willingness to include emotion in their experience, to include the negative in to their experience of their human life, the more it gives them authority over their lives over what they're able to create. And that for me is the pure potentiality that each of us can live into. That is the point of power we can live from. So the first step in training our brains is really an awareness practice. It's that ability to look inside your brain and unpack what's going on in there in order to change the system you have to understand the current system and we are tempted to change it right away but we have to slow way down when we're in a hurry we go nowhere fast you'll hear me say this a lot (laughs) people are in a hurry going nowhere fast don't let that be you Don't give in to that temptation. The next attitude that you want to cultivate as a skill is really living from that question, can I be with this? It's that attitude of acceptance. Are you willing to bear witness to the effects of your thinking in your life? Are you willing to experience the emotion 
that that thinking creates. What all of this does is it enlarges our capacity to be present with our lives, to be present with whatever is going on. And that takes us back to what I was sharing with you at the beginning of this episode of how there can be this deepening sense of peace that sets in despite what might be going on outside of us. It's that capacity to become aware accompanied by the acceptance of the circumstances that we can't change that frees us to learn from what's going on and to apply that wisdom into changing the things that we can. It's like that serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. It's those three things. Most of us, our sense of control in our lives is so all or nothing. Either we feel really in control of some things or really out of control. And so the activity to engage our minds in, to live more fully from a place of power in our lives is to begin to recognize what we can control so we can focus our efforts and energy deliberately and intentionally towards working through the discomfort that comes up for us in our effort to change the things that we can. It's really what allows us to live from this other line of the serenity prayer, which reads, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. That is why I believe that suffering is a grace. If you don't let it harden you, allow it instead to strengthen you. We can all change from desperation, but let suffering ignite in you a state of inspiration and you won't have to strive or effort so hard to create the change. You will feel yourself to be it before you can even see it. But you have to put in the work to get there. It is a training. It is a discipline. It is a practice. And it is available to you. Let it be the work of your life. And watch your whole life and legacy transform. No one is born into greatness. It must be earned earned not in the performance, but in all of those tiny moments that offer the opportunity to practice being exactly who you have decided. Those moments that only you know about in the quiet of your mind are what take you from good to great. Now get out there and make a difference not only in the lives of other people, but in your own life by training your brain. I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for being an awesome listener of the podcast. Your health is your number one wealth asset. And your body is the vehicle for you to make that contribution you want to make to the world. Step 
into a vision of success that includes health and happiness by joining my one-on-one coaching program where you'll work directly with me in Think Yourself Slim to do just that. Or be part of the conversation in the Genius Body community over on Facebook. Let's start a transformation today.